some of the best advice that I got from from my boss, our head of engineering, is don't expect to get it right 100% of the time when you're starting a new office. And be okay with getting it wrong. Because you're if you're entering into a totally new country, a totally new culture, a different way of working, different work ethics, different styles of communication, you're not going to nail it every single time on your hires. That is a natural course of management is that you're not going to get it right every time. But this is really, really important when you're expanding internationally. Are you an engineering leader and tired of constantly being asked, when will it be ready? Stay one step ahead with Linear B's project delivery feature. Our powerful dashboard lets you visualize key milestones, forecast delivery accurately, and align stakeholders effortlessly. With Linear B's product delivery, you can confidently showcase your planning, prioritize work effectively, and even make data-driven cases for additional headcount. Say goodbye to delays and missed milestones. Sign up for Linear B today and answer, when will it be ready, before anyone even asks. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Dev Interrupted. This is your co-host, Connor Bronsden, and today I am happy to be welcoming Kelly Vaughn back to the show. She is the Director of Engineering at Spot AI. Kelly, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be back here. Yeah, it's always a pleasure having you on here and having a chance to chat with you. You're one of our most popular guests, actually. I don't know if you know that. Uh, it's your oh. third appearance on the podcast, and uh, every episode does really well in downloads. So, of course, we want to have you back. It's because um, I bring the hot takes. It's cool. That's, that's simply part of it. But I think for those of the audience who maybe aren't familiar with Kelly yet, have been introduced, part of the reason we really value her is that it's hard to bring that level of insight and Kelly's experience as a host, a speaker, and a leader who's also been an entrepreneur herself brings these really interesting lenses to her approach here. And, and today we're going to have the opportunity to talk a bit about something that I think is relevant both as an internal engineering leader and an entrepreneur, which is setting up an office in a foreign country, uh, a different area from where you're living, brings unique challenges. It's something we've, we've done with Linear B. And in the past, you've, you've had some of these other fascinating conversations that I think are in, informative of this, this as well. You've leveraged your background as a trained therapist, discuss how to build healthy dev teams. You joined us for a panel discussion on how to treat developers as creative problem solvers, not cogs in a machine. And these are cultural pieces and understanding of your team that I think is highly relevant, particularly when you're trying to work uh, across cultural lines. Highly recommend folks check out both those episodes. We'll put links in the show notes. As I mentioned, they're two of our most popular episodes of all time. But let's dive into this incredibly interesting, but I'm sure also exhausting process of uh, you know setting up a company uh, that has a foreign office. How do you even arrive at the idea and kind of get started? Yeah, you know, when you're thinking about expanding your team, you know, when you work in a remote environment, you know, talent is everywhere. And, and that is one of the major trade-offs you experience when you have an in-house or hybrid team versus a remote team is, you know, the remote team has the added benefit of being able to hire from anywhere. And, you know, we have some engineers who are already based in Europe. So this is not a new concept to us to begin with. Uh, but we are definitely very keen on expanding internationally because, you know, there are a lot of benefits that we're absolutely going to be getting into shortly from a cost standpoint, from a, a culture ad, like value ad standpoint, that we were just, we were ready to make that move and expand into another country to continue to build out our team. And I remember the last time you were on this podcast, you recommended a, a couple of great books to me about kind of dealing with leadership across cultural lines. I want to say thank you for that. I actually started uh, the culture map and I've really enjoyed it. I think it's a great example of understanding some of the 
different unique challenges or just unique perspectives that uh, countries bring and, and how those business cultures can interact. But it goes a lot deeper than that, as you mentioned. I think there's that that kind of clear example of recruitment in a remote work environment. Like I'll, I'll share that I now live 90 minutes south of the city I was hired in originally because I'm in a remote work environment. My wife likes a joke. She imported me to her hometown. Uh, <laughs> it's And then um, also, of course, uh, as I was here at Linear B, here at Definerupted, we have uh, team members who are all over the United States. We have some in Europe, and then we have a, a large office in, in Tel Aviv, Israel. And it's absolutely been a huge benefit to us uh, on recruitment, as you mentioned, but it has brought some unique challenges. I know you were part of the process at Spot of kind of making this step. How did you come to the conclusion that you said, hey, we want to really set up a, a kind of hub elsewhere than our, our current team? I think a lot of it ended up coming down to cost. I think that was the major, uh, you know, as, as we're a startup, we're a growing startup, but we still have to stay within our means of being able to hire, uh, you know, really talented engineers. And we can only scale our team as much as we can to, you know, be respectful of uh, the runway that we currently have as we're continuing to grow from a customer standpoint as well. As we have made this move from being, you know, more SMB to more into like mid-market enterprise there are different needs that these enterprise customers have. And we needed additional hands to actually build out a number of these features. Not only that, but from an architectural standpoint, from like the, the, the roots of our dashboard and our appliances and all the infrastructure that we have in place, what got us to where we are today is not going to get us to where we are in that next phase. And our team is, we have an amazing, amazing engineering team across the entire board. But there, you know, there are only so many engineers on our team. And we're able to really leverage additional hires internationally that is significantly cheaper than what we would be hiring for based in the U.S. So this is really interesting. And I, and I want to dig more into that selection criteria of, you know, why do you pick the country you did? What were the kind of criteria you considered? But you brought up something that I think is interesting here, which is the distribution of work across distributed engineering teams. So I know that you have team members in Poland now. I know you have team members in the United States and elsewhere. How are you distributing teamwork? Is it members, uh, you know, team members in Poland and team members in the US are all working on the same feature? Is it distributed so that, you know, the folks in Poland are doing a particular feature while folks in the US are focusing on other pieces of the architecture? How, how are you handling that distribution? It's really important to establish those swim lanes because if you don't have clear swim lanes of who is working on what, you're going to get crossover and you're going to end up with, the, you know, as, as any engineering team scales, when you add more people to the team, it gets really confusing about who's going to be working on what. And so the way that I've approached splitting it up is I know where the interests and the strengths lie in the Poland team. So when I'm thinking about uh, what I'm going to assign over to the... So I, to back up a little bit, I am director of engineering over what we call our core experience team. So we own the dashboard, we own our API, we own the cloud infrastructure, and we own the uh, mobile apps as well. So we have a, a pretty broad spectrum of what we're covering. And one of the things that was really important to me from a for, for the Spolin team is in order to really get them more involved on the team and not feel like they're siloed because they're literally separated by an ocean as well, is we need to start bridging relationships, not just within the core experience team, but with other teams as well. And one of the really easy pathways for that is to work with what we call our embedded video team, which is more on the firmware and the appliance and camera side. Now, both teams have to deal with observability and monitoring and uptime. These are very, very important things for any company, but it's also one of those areas where we're currently looking at right now, 
where we definitely need improvements in order to continue to grow. And so I decided from a swim lane standpoint, let's have them own those types of items from a observability and monitoring and deployment process. Because again, this is also what the team is interested in working on out there. And then they can start building relationships with the folks who are working on that embedded video team. The one thing I wanted to still make sure of is I didn't want them to feel like they're only working on internal tooling and back office tooling, that they're also able to work on direct customer impact type projects where they know they can see and they can talk to the customers and they can see that direct impact that they're having that the US team gets. And so when I'm thinking through, you know, splitting up those tasks of of the major projects that they're going to be taking on with the major initiatives, there's a little bit of both. You got the back end work, you got the front end work, you have the internal work, you have the customer facing work to give them that nice little mix. So you've had this very intentional distributed work strategy, but you're also building hubs, it sounds like, where it's like, oh, you know, we have a hub in Poland, we have a hub in the U.S. somewhat, or at least... Exactly. Yeah, we have various hubs within the U.S. since it's, you know, this massive country. Uh, But we also have this hub that we're building in Poland. You know, as we're thinking about our long-term growth as a company, we will be expanding into Europe for our customer base. So why don't we start establishing that hub Somewhere in Europe, in Poland, is a really great opportunity for that, which we can also dig into, since I know we're also going to be talking about why we chose Poland in the first place. Let's jump right in. Why Poland? Cool. Yeah. So we had narrowed our search down to basically four different countries, and they're really (laughs) spread out all over the world. We have Chile on the list because we do have some investors who are based there, and we also have some employees who are already based in Chile. Poland, because there's a lot of crossover from working styles between uh, Eastern Europe and the Americas. And that was something that was really important to us, as well as the tech density as well. So the amount of talent and the caliber of talent you have there. India was also on the list for a lot of those same reasons. And then Mexico was on the list too, with the added benefit that it's sort of the same time zone that we're already working in now. So We took that and we started thinking, we had this long list of items that we're comparing, you know, from an HR standpoint, from just a cost standpoint, from tech density, from travel. How long does it going to take us to actually fly to one of these locations and how much is it going to cost us? So not just the how much does the talent cost there, but the everyday cost of living there as well and getting to and from this country. And then lastly, language barrier. That was a very important one that we had to think about because, you know, you have Chile and Mexico, you've got Spanish, Poland, obviously you have Polish. And while all of these countries do have English speaking engineers, you do still run into some cultural and language barriers that could absolutely hinder the working experience across a team. So we cross up Chile from a, a tech density standpoint. It does take a fair bit of time to actually fly down there. We eliminated Mexico because of the language barrier. I'm learning Spanish right now, but not many of our, our team does speak Spanish. And I didn't, I didn't want that to be a barrier there. And then so we narrowed it down to India versus Poland. And both of them have their pros and cons. And I spent a long time, and so did our chief product officer, talking to various people on our network. I was in various Slack orgs being like, hey, if you've expanded a team to either India or Poland, or especially if you've considered both, I want to talk to you. And I was just getting on 30-minute to an hour-long calls and just telling me like, what is it, what worked well? What did you go think about through your, you know, your experience working with this? What are some gotchas that I should be thinking about as we're making this decision? And what it ultimately came down to is knowing that we are eventually going to be expanding into Europe, Poland makes the most sense. 
I have a note here that you also looked at retention rate of employees within the different countries. Can you explain yes. on that a bit? Yeah. So this one was a, a particular topic around India. Uh, I spoke with a number of folks who have expanded offices into India, and that was one of their biggest complaints that they had, that the retention rate is significantly lower. That, you know, especially for American companies who are expanding into India and building a hub in India, you don't see that same level of loyalty that you might see in Eastern Europe or especially in the Americas. And so, you know, somebody might start a new job and then three days later, they get a better offer elsewhere and they'll go. From a cost standpoint and from a team stability standpoint, that revolving door is a major point of concern. And in making these decisions, it sounds like you worked with a couple of other internal stakeholders. Who all was involved in the process and how did you incorporate that input to make a final decision? Yeah. So our, our team of founders was definitely involved. Our VP of people was involved and our VP of finance was involved. So I think everyone had their special area of expertise and opinion to bring into, into this conversation. You know, our VP of finance is, of course, thinking from it from a cost standpoint, but also how much does it cost to have a business entity there and how difficult is it going to be to set up? Our VP of people is looking more from a retention rate. You know, what are the employment policies that exist in these certain countries, how does it compare to what we currently offer in the United States with our U.S.-based team? And, and then, of course, I guess the executive team is just also thinking broadly from a, a growth and skill standpoint. And I'm thinking from in a tech density and engineering talent and how is this going to expand you know, our engineering team, not just my core experience team, but you know, I'm the only one who's currently hiring in Poland. That's not going to be the case forever. Totally. So you know, how is this going to impact from a talent viewpoint? Like, Are there firmware engineers? Are there AI engineers out there? And so that was another consideration that I was thinking through as well. So we all had our different areas of, of, of focus that we were bringing to the table to discuss these options. Was there eventual overall consensus or was it kind of a controversial decision in the end where it's like, oh, half the folks were for India, half the folks were for Poland? How did that kind of come about? I don't think it was really controversial, but I know our chief product officer, who I used to report to, which is why we were working so closely uh, together on this, he and I were both very much like, do we do India or do we do Poland? They both have their added benefits. And I think we had our individual reasons for you know why he might want to prefer India and why I might want to prefer Poland. But it was a definite, like, it was a consensus at the end. Like, we both saw that this was the best path forward for us for this time. And, and I think I I hear from you this thing that we've talked about previously in conversations on this podcast, where you really zero in on what's the long-term implications of this decision and how does it align to the internal company culture we want to build? Because you're thinking about not only, okay, are there AI and firmware engineers we can hire long-term to scale this engineering org when we want to have it be 200 people in Poland versus you know 10? And you're also thinking about what are the projects and the features that these people want to work on? Because when we mentioned retention rates, like that's a key part of employee happiness of people you know, delivering their best work is like, does this align to what they want to do? And if you just pick a random country and say, hey, this is the cheapest potential country, but the type of talent there isn't aligning to the type of engineering you're doing. Like, yeah, it's great if I have a great React engineer, but if I meet them doing something entirely different, then uh, maybe it's not the right fit. So I, I think yeah. that consideration of both internally, like this is what we're going to be working on and scaling is really important. But it, it does bring to mind another option that I, I'm sure you may have considered. What about using an agency or acquiring a software house, given all the logistical and operational challenges of 
we actually did talk about this as well as a as a potential option. And you know, there are there are definite cost implications. There are benefits to let's say acquiring a small dev house and embedding them into their team because they already all know each other. And so that, you know, that really adds to making you have your, you know, you have your overall company culture, you have your engineering culture, and then you have your subcultures that exist within that from a team perspective, from a location perspective. And so they would already have this established internal Poland culture, let's call it, that would have to then embed into our team. So one of the things that kind of gave me pause. Well, there are a number of reasons from a, a like a legal logistical standpoint. There are definitely key considerations to make there. But one of the interesting things that I was encountering when I was ex- you know exploring Poland as an option is dev houses are very, very popular there. And there is a big difference between being an engineer who works on projects and being an engineer who works on a product. Mm. And I know this from experience because I used to run an agency. And so I know how service-minded engineers think in that it's usually like they have a start and end date. I'm working on this very specific task. Whereas on the more product side, you have to think much more broadly. How are customers going to use this product? How are they thinking about the user flow from start to end? But also how are you know our 250th customer and our 10,000th customer how are they going to have different experiences? Are they going to have different experiences? And so bringing that product mindset is a very different way of thinking about the work, the engineering work that you're doing from a long-term capacity. It goes from, I just need to build this thing to how is this going to bleed into and impact everything else that I'm working, not just now, but any of the other engineers on the team and also into the future as we continue to scale. And so that was one of the things that kind of gave me pause about going the hiring a dev shop route because you'd have to train product thinking as well. Absolutely. And I think it's, you know, we talk about product thinking, but I think it's also just a strategic lens where a lot of teams maybe don't embed that passion into them about the product. If it's just something that we're, Hey, I'm doing a project here. Like, yes, you'll, you'll find devs who are passionate and will will do that. But like, are they thinking about, to your point, the long-term implications and do they map to those cultural values and that cohesion you mentioned? I know that's something that's very important to you. How does Spot, and in particular your team, plan to maintain its cultural values and cohesion as you expand in Poland and elsewhere? So one of the things that we're being, we're being very intentional about is, you know, I'm going out there every single quarter uh, because I think it's important for totally. me to get FaceTime with everybody out there from a, you know, I am their U.S. conduit since I'm directing the, the expansion of this Poland office. But we're also having engineers go out there, too. Uh, who are our U.S.-based engineers or European engineers who have been with Spot for a while so they can learn more about how we function as a company, not just from as engineers as well. They can bring a lot more historical context in there. But it goes both ways. You know, we shouldn't just be sending folks out to out to Poland to work out of our Poland hub. They should also be coming stateside. And so, you know, this is actually next week is going to be when one of our Poland engineers is going to be coming out for our engineering and company offsite to get the full company experience. That's probably going to be totally overwhelming because they're meeting literally everybody else at the company at the same time when they've met me and, and our chief product officer. <laughs> I think that kind of experience is really important though. Like there are a lot of orgs that went remote during the pandemic and we're not intentional about creating async work culture or creating, yeah. uh, you know, cross time zone work culture and accounting for these different cultural barriers. In particular, a lot of them who said, "Oh, we don't, we don't need to do offsites. We're talking on Zoom all the time," and it's not the same. And it's you not. are 
really missing some of that in-person team building that you need. Like I, I'm a huge proponent of remote distributed work, but I, I do think it's important to get together occasionally and say, Hey, we're going to be intentional. We're saving a bunch of money on these offices. We're saving a bunch of money on hiring less invested in the culture so that we can not only reap the benefits of having more experienced team members, but also ensure that they are aligning and de-siloed the way we need them to be. Exactly. And that is actually, if we needed to bring some sort of hot take into this, uh, that is why I decided that we need to start in Poland with a hybrid culture, not with a fully remote mm-hmm. culture. Because if we are building a new office in a new country and we're building a new team out there, it's important for them to work together to define what it is to mean uh, to be an engineer at Spot who lives in Poland. And, you know, as this team continues to grow, they have the the face-to-face interaction of being able to collaborate, which you and I can both spend an you know, entire hour talking about the benefits of that face-to-face interaction, as you literally just alluded to. But it's not going to stay that way forever. It's not going to stay this long-term you always had to be in the office three days a week. It's a very important thing to establish at the beginning. And then based on how the team is growing and how they're working together, you can continue to taper off. But that is also why we ultimately decided right now, like we don't have a physical office out there. We're working out of a co-working space. So we have that flexibility to change as we need to. And we're not really locked into a, a, a this corporate office environment. Can you unpack a bit more how you're thinking about the long term of that. It sounds like you're saying, okay, we're going to start with three days in office, two days remote. Do you see that shifting rapidly? Or is this something where you just have the option to? How are you thinking about it? I think it depends on how quickly we scale that office. I think it's really going to come down to the people who are in that office as well. And that's the other reason why, you know, we chose a centrally located co-working space in Warsaw, but as we're continuing to interview folks and we're continuing to add new engineers to the team, we need to understand, you know, where do they live? What's their family life like? Like, how are they getting to and from this office? What's going to be most convenient for the entire team as a whole? And so from a timing standpoint, I don't really know when we're going to continue, like going to taper back. We currently have one engineering manager and two engineers out there. So it's still a very small, small team. And at that size, honestly, it gets a little bit easier to and work from home because it's not too many of you. But as you add more people into that office, that's when it becomes really important to help establish what that culture is going to be. I really appreciate you bringing this lens of we're just starting this and here are the kind of the challenges and the positives of what we're doing and here's our long-term approach. Because, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to large companies that have cross-culture offices. I used to do work at Microsoft where, you know, obviously you have offices at and I don't know, hundreds of countries. And they kind of establish culture. I think people don't think a lot about how do you set this up and get it running the right way. And that's a lot of the hard work is, is happening now. Yeah. How are you managing things like time zone, those language and cultural differences we mentioned? But what's the approach you're taking as you set up? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we do have the added benefit of this is not our first time hiring in Europe since we do have some folks who are already there. So our team is already used to working across time zones. But I think as I have thought about working on this international team, we need to have some sort of equal time when we can all sign on, you know, for unfortunately the West Coast, that is 8 a.m. For East Coast, that's 11 a.m. For Europe, for a lot of Europe, that's 5 p.m. And then for India, it's late, unfortunately. But we have to have some sort of time when we can all meet together and we can all get that face-to-face time 
on, you know, Google Meet or on Zoom or wherever we happen to be, since you are international and we are remotely distributed. But having that face-to-face time is important for building that culture. But then breaking it down into how do you instill that same level of culture into your asynchronous communications on Slack in, in having those smaller meetings. So, you know, we have our core experience team meeting that happens every week. That is the entire core experience team who is somewhere on the West Coast. We go from, from West Coast to India. We have, we have the international team, basically. We have a very geographically distributed team. But then the Poland office also has their own stand-up as well that they can do on their own time zone too. You have to also balance when you're working with people who are in a different time zone, they're going to have their own meetings as well. Be super respectful of how much time they're actually spending in meetings. Because the more time you spend in meetings, the less time you're actually going to be able to get functional work done, especially with the context switching. No question. What are some of the surprises that have maybe come up as part of this process, whether it's cultural surprises or just simple challenges in setting up that remote office? Well, first of all, Polish is a very difficult language to learn. <laughs> let's let's cross that one off. I have this uh, this Polish dictionary on my on my desk right now, just in case I, I I get inspired and just like pull out a random word, and then I have absolutely no idea how to pronounce it. But you know, I think it's important to learn at least the basics if you're going to go to any country and and get a general understanding of their language and culture. A lot of logistical differences when it comes to hiring in Poland. For example, their contracts. You have a contract of employment, which is going to be much closer to your standard like W-2 employee here in the U.S. But then you also have a B2B contract, which is sort of similar to like a contractor agreement, but also not. It's basically the way that the engineers are taxed. And there is a financial incentive for them to go on a B2B contract versus contract of employment from a tax rate level. And a it changes however long the engineer is actually on that contract, like working as a B2B contractor or B2, on a B2B agreement. But there are also differences in the way that employers have to handle contract of employment versus B2B and how how many B2B employees you can be hiring. So, you know, when you're like Google, Google has an office in, in Warsaw. And when you're Google, you can say contract of employment or bust, like you're out, you know? you have to be on like a standard employee for a much smaller startup like we are, you know, nobody knows who spot AI is in Europe since we don't have customers out there. And so we still have to establish who we are as a company and, you know, our values, what we stand for and why it'd be a really great idea to work with us. And so it's a give and take. And for us, part of the thing is you're taking a chance on us so we can, we can open up our opportunity to also hire you as a B2B uh, under a B2B agreement instead. So that was one of the, the the big things that took a long time for us to understand. I think we spoke to probably four different people and like, please explain this tax setup because I just literally do not understand. And then the other really big one is notice periods. So, you know, in the US, you can be like two weeks and I'm out. See ya. Sometimes you expand it, extend it. Sometimes you're like, yeah, no, nah, I'm just out. And then you have in uh, in Poland, I know this is also the same in other countries as well, depending on how long you've been at the company is how long your notice period is. Anywhere from ASAP, if you're immediately available, you don't have a job, or you're running your own company or whatever, to two weeks for you know that first month, I want to say, uh, to a month notice period. All the way, if you've been at a company for, let's say, three years, you have to give a three months notice period. Wow which is really fun for planning. Yeah, <laughs> that's really interesting. I, I can only imagine that's going to throw some wrinkles in down the line. I'll, I'll be curious to kind of come back to you and say, so now that you've you know 
been operating this office for four years, like how has that notice period piece affected things? So I'm sure there's going to be <laughs> some interesting examples. We're already feeling it because, you know, from from our finance team, I'm we have this budget for hiring, of course. But with that, we schedule out when these hires are actually going to happen. And when our VP of finance is like, please don't hire everyone at the same time. I'm like, don't worry. I literally cannot do that in, in, in Poland. So you don't have to worry about that. But I still have to think about the timing of everybody starting and who happens to be in our candidate pool and who we're interviewing and who we're thinking about making an offer to. And then when they can feasibly start. You know, we're talking mm-hmm. to one right now who needs to give upwards to a two-month notice period. And the other caveat with that is that you can potentially shorten that notice period if you have a signed agreement with your employer. Interesting. Okay. So when we're like, oh, we really want you to start sooner. Can we just like pay out the rest of your contract? And they're like, absolutely not. You can't. You know, in the US, we just be like, yeah, you know what? Here's some extra money. Come, come sooner. You can't do that in Poland. That is a fascinating wrinkle to throw in. And I'm sure it's not the only one. How about, let's say, equity offerings, kind of that communication around these other pieces of being a startup employee? Is that different uh, across cultural lines as well? It is, yes. So in the U.S., we're very familiar with how equity works. We understand the, you know, the early investment, the, you know, the earlier you get in at a company that goes big, the the better off you're going to be when they eventually, fingers crossed, have a liquidity event or go public. But there are fewer companies in Poland that have actually gone that entire route to have this liquidity event or go public. And so, you know, there are a lot of a lot of people all over the world. This, this is not just Poland, but in countries where this is less common, where it's like monopoly money. Like you're you're technically saying this is what you're giving me, but I'm just going to like write it on a piece of paper and hope that it's worth something at some point. Which, I mean, let's be honest, that is how <laughs> equity works. But but it takes a lot deeper explanation of this is why this is part of our compensation package. And this is what we consider this to be worth. Like, this is what the value is. This is what our strike price is. This is what, you know, if we go public, this is what we're kind of expecting this value to be. But again, it can go that way. It might not go that way. Fingers crossed, we get a lot of money and everyone's happy. You never really know. And so for some employees, you know, they're not interested in equity because they just like, I want I want cold, hard cash. Like I want it in my bank account so I can spend it now or I can invest it now or do whatever I need to do it with now. And they're less interested in in those equity options you might get. Interesting. So I'm sure that has kind of adjusted the mix of how you're making offers and probably how do you have to have these deeper conversations with people you're potentially recruiting to say, okay, what is it you want? Versus, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And in a lot of a lot of companies, especially a lot of startups, use equity to help reduce the cost of your base compensation, improve retention, and all, all exactly. Of and so you have to take a different approach for some of them who just aren't mm-hmm. interested in equity. And related to that, I think I am realizing that I don't think that we actually explicitly defined what a B two B contract is in Poland. Just to make sure I'm understanding this well. This is when an employee wants to essentially contract through their own LLC. So they'll have, you know, their own company where they're then contracting as, hey, I'm being hired as a business to support your company. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. And then how are you handling recruitment? Are are you working with a local recruiter uh, to kind of address cultural differences and ensure smooth operations? What's the approach you're taking? Yes. And this is something I think is very, very, very important if you're expanding into another country. 
get a local recruiter. Do not assume you know the ins and outs of how to hire in that country because chances are you're probably missing something. And, you know, you also have the added benefit of the time zone, of course. So our, our recruiting team that we've been working with in Poland, you know, they're, they're much faster to be able to speak with the candidates because they're all in the same time zone. Whereas, you know, when I was doing the initial rounds of hiring, I had my meetings basically started at sometimes 7.30, 8 a.m. just so I can get enough interviews in. And that's, it gets a lot tougher to, to schedule that out. So definitely use a local recruiter and, and lean on the recruiter for understanding the differences in the hiring process as well. You know, we're used to, for better or for worse, throwing an engineer through the gauntlet of like nine interviews. I'm not saying we do that at Spot. I'm just saying that this thing that we all, we're all very, very familiar with. <laughs> exactly. Whereas that is not going to be respected in a lot of other countries. They're like, I will do three interviews and I'm not going to do more than that. And so you have to have a very good, clear reason for why you are going to be having them interview more. Because we have actually increased the number of interviews that we do in Poland, not from a... Uh, not from the perspective of we want to make sure that everyone in the U.S. has an opportunity to get their opinion in on this particular candidate, though that is a very important thing at the beginning, again, to have, you know, more of the leadership team. Exactly. Have more of the leadership team speak to them. You know, we don't do that now for even our U.S.-based hires that we're doing. It's a much it's a much shorter time frame. But as you know, interviewing is both parties. So we should be, we're interviewing you, but you should be interviewing us as much as possible as well. And so we're using this as an opportunity for you to get to know as many people in the U.S., on, uh, you know, in the U.S.-based office as well to form an opinion around, is this a company that I would like to work with? Because again, we don't have this presence in Europe. And so you're learning about who we are from these interviews as well. And so we leave as much time as possible for questions and very clearly explain our roadmap and why we do things the way that we do. And I think we've we've got a really good interview process down now, but it definitely took some, some tweaking as I continue to do these, especially these intro interviews, because I tend to start an interview with an overall, like an, an overall overview of the company and our teams and where people are located. And there are certain words that you would use to just, you know, describe like, oh, tell me about a project you worked on. And, you know, that was really technically complex, you know, whatever. But when you think project, we think, okay, well, I built this particular feature. When you talk to somebody in Poland and you say that, they're like, oh, I worked at this company. And so it's a very different, it's just little differences in the way that you interview that you have to continue to just listen for those cues when you're interviewing these people and change the way you're interviewing as well. But also make sure, especially if you're the hiring manager, you're communicating with the rest of the interview team, the, the panel, so they're able to adjust their process as well. These are great insights. And I know a lot of folks listening either are partway through this process themselves where they're you know, spinning up an office in another country or are thinking about this kind of same approach. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing your perspective as you start this up. Are there any other closing thoughts or advice that you would have for other engineering leaders who are considering either opening a new office or are saying, hey, we're not having as much success as we'd like to. We need to think about how we're approaching this culturally. That is actually a really good point you just made there. And this is some of the best advice that I got from from my boss, our head of engineering, is don't expect to get it right 100% of the time when you're starting a new office. And be okay with getting it wrong. Because you're, if you're entering into a totally new country, a totally new culture, a different way of working, different work ethics, different styles of communication, you're not going to nail it 
every single time on your hires. I think, you know, any any manager, any hiring manager would know we probably don't have a perfect track record forever of candidates that we eventually made an offer to. That is a that is a natural course of management is that you're not going to get it right every time. But this is really, really important when you're expanding internationally and to recognize when something's not working out and really understand why it's not working out and what changes you need to make to adjust moving forward. So that's a very, very good point that you made there to bring that up. Fantastic. And for those of us who want to continue to follow Kelly's journey with this remote office development and her experiences as an engineering leader and insights, I highly recommend checking out her newsletter at engleadership.xyz. Her lessons in engineering leadership newsletter is a great one. We recommend it from our own subsec. And Kelly, any other closing thoughts from you? No, I mean, I really appreciate this time as always. Always love uh, talking to you. Uh, you plugged the culture map by Aaron Meyer earlier. Highly, highly recommend reading that, especially if you're, and, and it's something I told my team, you know, if you're, you're going to be working across cultures, we already work across cultures now, but if you're into reading, highly recommend this book. I also highly recommend Crucial Conversations because that is just a good book for everybody to read, to learn how to talk to each other. Fantastic. These are great pieces of advice and we're going to drop links to these books in our show notes as well. Kelly, thanks again for coming on and for everyone listening. If you're going to check out Kelly's uh, Substack, consider checking out the Dev Interrupted Substack as well. Each week, Absolutely. you'll get... Yeah, thank you. Each week, we're going to give you the latest episode of Dev Interrupted right in your inbox uh, every Tuesday, as well as articles from some of the best engineering leaders in the industry. Maybe Kelly will do a guest article for us sometime soon. Maybe, Maybe so. We'll see. Okay. Uh, upcoming events. And of course, all of your favorite Dev Interrupted episodes and content past and presence, all the insights, none of the fuss. You can check it out at devinterrupted.substack.com. Kelly, thanks for coming on. I'd love to have you back again soon. Thanks. Really appreciate it.